Welcome to the How of Car Washing, the podcast that helps the car wash owner, operator, and manager address the challenges and opportunities associated with building and running automated car washes in today's fast-paced environment. And now, here are your hosts, David Begin and Henry Lopez. Welcome to this episode of the How of Car Washing. This is Henry Lopez, and my guest today, I'm excited to have with us, Jeff Key. Jeff, welcome to the show. Hello. Welcome. Thank you. I appreciate being here. Well, we're glad to have you. This is going to be an exciting conversation because it's a topic I've been wanting to have someone on, an expert like yourself, to have on to chat about, and it's about appraisals and all the different ways that we need to use and, and come across having to use appraisals in the ownership or in the uh, creation and launching of a car wash business. But before we get into that, let me give you a bit of background on Jeff. Jeff came to commercial appraising by way of the civil engineering world after he got his bachelor's degree and a master's of engineering degree. He spent several years with an international engineering and construction firm in addition to teaching at the university level. He's a retired registered civil engineer with the states of California and Alaska now. And then his interest in the world of small business led Jeff to join Heron Companies in early 1985 and he has been there ever since. Uh, today, Jeff supervises a team of experienced professionals that are engaged in appraising a wide spectrum of properties around the country. And, and of particular specialty, uh, his, what he appraises or the types of businesses he focuses on include gas stations, convenience stores, car washes, and other hospitality type properties. They do all kinds of properties, but this is a particular area of specialty and focus, especially for Jeff. Jeff has published, in fact, a number of technical papers and papers and articles, including several articles in the Professional Car Washing and Detailing magazine, and his experience in litigation consulting and expert testimony. So Jeff lives in the Orange County area of Southern California with his wife, Betty, and he has two married daughters. So we're excited to have Jeff. Jeff Key, once again, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm pleased to be here. Okay, so let's get started. A little bit of the background, Jeff, uh, how you, uh, we I chatted briefly about you had an engineering background to begin with, and then you came into this whole world of appraisals. Just tell us briefly about that, that journey that you had in your career and how you ended up with Heron. Well, as so many things happened, it was a relationship, and I had been a friend with Steve Heron, who some of our listeners may know, uh, from, for a number of years, and I was in engineering working for the large company. He had just started his uh, consulting business, and my wife had actually gone to work with him after finishing mm. up an MBA. And after watching that for a year and, and uh, looking at some of the materials that my wife was studying in her beginning months in the appraisal profession, it started to look very interesting to me to really understand all the nuances of the income analysis and investment analysis of properties. My dad had been a realtor. Mm -hmm. And uh, so in 1985, I made kind of a big break. We didn't have any kids at the time. And it seemed to be if I'm going to do something dumb, now's the time to try it. <laughs> and uh, so I jumped in and with Steve uh, in 1985 and uh, have been there ever since. Steve has since retired. Uh, there are three of us now that are partners. And we then, uh, uh, some year, not too long after I joined him, uh, we did a lot of bank work, still do, a lot of lending work, as well as other kind of consulting and appraising. And uh, not too many years after joining him, we had a bank that requested we do a car wash, including the business value. Interesting. And we said, well, we don't really do those. We do industrials, retail, office. 
And they said, well, we don't really have anybody else. And so our standards require us to tell the client, hey, we really uh, are not fully competent, but we'll get competent. We'll figure out how to do it. And so that's what we did on that first appraisal done by one of my colleagues at the time. Seemed to work out okay. It was slow going, figuring it out at the beginning. And then uh, either that lender asked for another one or a different one. And by then we started to figure it out. And there weren't a lot of folks that wanted to do them. And we, uh, we began to round up the data. A lot of it's obtaining reliable data. Mm-hmm. And uh, we kind of figured out this is back, I think, in the late 80s, possibly 90 or 91. And it started very modestly with one lender asking that we do a car wash appraisal. Wow. Interesting. And then you went on to have some further experiences, obviously, over the years. You've written articles on it. And, and that's just evolved into then being part of uh, one of your, your specialty areas, right? Correct. And part of that, too, was we were pretty, again, very heavily uh, in various aspects of uh, the car wash appraisal world. We were then, I was part of a small part of a, uh, an effort to uh, create a, uh, a chain to consolidate with the idea that if you can buy washes at a five to seven times net income multiplier, improve them, optimize them, and then roll up enough of them. And this, this will be very familiar to many of the listeners. Of course, we're seeing this now. Right. This is back in the 90s. Uh, and you, you roll these things up and you incorporate them into a public, uh, public entity with a price to earnings ratio that's much higher than what you paid for them. And you've had some tremendous leverage. So uh, we were involved with that for a couple of years, had a financial uh, institutional investor that had to back out for their own problems elsewhere in the world. And so that one eventually lost steam. But that was a great experience working with some real great operational guys. I learned a lot about how these things work. Uh, by sitting in meetings and being at sites with a couple of our gurus, our operational guys. Yeah. Yeah. It's very interesting. And I'm sitting here as you're explaining that and and you have that wisdom and experience where we're so hot and heavy in another active cycle, like you alluded to, of Mm -hmm. consolidations and growth and equity investments coming into the industry. Uh, But this, you know, these are cycles, just like in other real estates and, and other investment opportunities. But it's hot and heavy now, and that's one of the reasons why this was such a, an important topic because it's becoming even more and more necessary to have an appraisal done, and we'll get into that. But uh, yeah, definitely, obviously, vast experience there. So let's start with, I thought, at a high level, kind of touching on some of the typical ways that we need an appraiser, an appraisal done of our car wash business. Uh, we, we can start, obviously, you touched on it as well. We, and I just went through this because we just opened, David and I just opened a new car wash location in Denver. And of course, as part of the lending process, we went with an SBA loan. We had to have it appraised, right? Sure. Um, so that's an example of an appraisal. Now, that's a more traditional appraisal. And I want you to speak to that because there, there, we hadn't opened a business yet, right? So we had a piece of land and we're going to improve it. Talk to me about that kind of appraisal and what's typically involved there and, and how I prepare for that as the as the developer of this new car wash. Right. Well, and it's not a bad idea to get a third party uh, evaluation uh, unless you've just done so many car washes that, you know, some developers know a lot more about that than we do. But getting a third party look at it. Uh, so you got a site, you think it's great. Uh, and you want to go with it, but then to be able to come in and have us look at things like certainly traffic counts, uh, configuration. We see folks that want to come in and do an express wash on a very small site. It might work great, 
but obviously having a little more room is better for if you're going to have vacuums and all that. Um, so some of the factors, distance to competitors, if it's a site, uh, an interior lot on a street that does not have a left turn access, meaning it's got a median out. And so you got to go down and make a U-turn a quarter of a mile down the road. Doesn't mean it won't be fine, but th- these are just factors that you want to think about, all of which work together, you know, to increase the probability of success. And then, uh, you know, sort of, it, it, we, I've done a, a little bit of development in my day. And as a developer, we all tend to be on the optimistic side. It's, man, this is going to be great. So to have somebody say, well, it's going to be, you know, it's going to be great, but maybe not quite as great as you think. So be prepared for the fact that it might be, you know, at, at this level of performance rather than what you're projecting. Yeah, you know, no, that's a great point. And it's interesting, Devin, we'll, we'll come back to those those criteria that you look at and how that mm-hmm. impacts an appraisal. In our case here, we did not engage an appraiser of our own. The bank, of course, in the process of approving the loan, had an appraisal done by their appraiser. What you're speaking to is that I might have engaged an appraiser of my own to help me with identifying if this site was a good location or not. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. And there's different levels of that analysis. We've had them just say, look, we don't really want a full report. You can give us a verbal report or a real simple little report, but give us some advance notice so we know what we're going to be heading into when we actually pull the trigger with this bank. And you're right, though. Usually, especially as you're leading into construction, you'll get a you know construction loan. The lender is going to be in control of the process as far as ordering the appraisal. In the old days, the developer would come to us you know, in, 1980, in the 80s, uh, Henry would have come to Heron Companies and said, I need an appraisal and I'm going to take it to these three banks. Mm-hmm. I'm going to shop it to three banks and we would give the appraisal and you'd be the client and you'd take it. Well, there's no more of that. No. Yeah. So clearly, yeah, your lender uh, would have ordered the appraisal. Yeah. No, very interesting. That's something we didn't do. Of course, we, we leveraged the experience of various people and, and David's experience in analyzing the site, but that would have been probably money well invested to get that professional uh, opinion. And we'll talk to you later about how I go about choosing someone, how, how to choose an appraisal, an appraisal firm. Um, the, the other scenario, of course, that is very common is I'm looking to buy an existing wash to expand, or maybe it's my first location, and using an appraisal to value the business. So let's talk about that and the role that you play there. In that case, I would likely perhaps hire you or someone like you first even though you know later that that buyers excuse me my lender to buy that business might do an appraisal as well but talk to me talk to me about that role in helping me analyze the value of a business of an existing wash that I'm interested in buying right well that what you you just alluded to one uh, oh wrinkle in the process which is that that buyer is probably not going to want to have his own appraisal done and then also pay for the bank to have their appraisal done. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So usually, right, it's usually the buyer's lender when they, they're going to go get a loan, typically. That lender is going to then uh, order the appraisal. Um, and if that appraisal is done you know, by somebody who really knows their stuff, then you know, that's, that's fine. Um, so it really does end or end, or end up being a uh, something that's more in the control of that buyer's lender unless he's paying cash. Yeah, yeah, right. Now, if I flip it, if I'm the seller, and obviously what I typically want to do beforehand is determine what would this business sell for, what would this location sell for, that might be another scenario where I engage an appraiser to help me arrive at that value. Is that fair? Absolutely. And there's two ways to go with that. One would be, 
to say that, listen, I mainly just want some help in pricing this thing. I got my own ideas, but let me have an independent look at what I ought to be charging for this thing. And uh, an appraiser can can enter into it and do an appraisal just for the seller and create a very little, fairly skinny, simple report. We call it a restricted report that can't, can only be used by the guy that ordered it, uh, according to our standards. But that would give them a really good idea uh, for a lower fee. Now, the flip side would be to say, um, why not have actually, if it's if it's worth a little more money to you, have a full appraisal done, mm-hmm. like, a, like a lender's appraisal, and uh, have that ready to hand, have your listing agent have that available to potential buyers, not only to defend your value, uh, but also the uh, that can go to the, uh, the buyer's lender. They probably won't use it. But if that can go to the appraiser that's doing it, there, there might be information in your appraisal that will possibly in a legitimate and positive way affect that appraiser who's doing the work for the buyer's lender, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, so, that, that makes a lot of sense. And that kind of like when I when I put my house up for sale and my broker, my listing agent's gonna go out and find their own comps right. and they're gonna they're gonna feed them to the buyer, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that, that definitely. And and we'll come back to this point because your point of passing it to end up whoever is the appraiser for the lender one of the challenges you always have as an appraiser is finding those comps, finding that that relative data to do the comparison on. And so that could help in that regard or to highlight something that they may not have thought of, right? So it definitely can be a positive influence. Right. And, as, and if I'm that appraiser for the buyer's lender, I always, I'm a sponge for data. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'll take, if you got a report done by somebody else, I mean, I may or may not like it, but I'm, I'm glad to have it. Right, right. Okay. The other scenario that often arises that we'll talk about a lot is a partner exit, as I'll call it just generally. And there's all different reasons why in a partnership, one person or the other might want to exit, but you get involved in helping people determine the value in those situations. So there's no lender involved necessarily, but you know, I want out or you're going to buy me out or I died and you're going to buy my spouse out with the, the proceeds of the insurance money. So talk to me about those scenarios and, and how that's any different. You bet. Yeah, we do quite a bit of that, not only on uh, you know gas stations and car washes, but even just for all manner of properties. Uh, we got folks on our staff that that work with me that are really you know great at that. Uh, fractional interest, right? So you're you're selling. Uh, Uncle Fred uh, wants to sell, and he's got a thirty six percent you know fractional interest in the in the LLC that owns uh, the car wash. So we need to come up with a, uh, you know, with a value for him, a fair price to pay him off and buy him out. And there can be a lot of nuances to that, but we start with, well, let's figure out what the pie is worth before we start carving up the pie. So it usually begins with just a, a solid appraisal of the going concern of the car wash. Let's find out, okay, it's worth, you know, $800 million. Now then how much is this 36%? Well, it isn't necessarily just 36% of $800 million. Uh, questions like, okay, it's it's not it's a non-controlling interest. It's one thing to sell fifty-one percent control mm-hmm. controlling interest versus selling a thirty-six percent interest where you're not in control. If you're not in control now, what are all the rules of the you know the operating agreement for making decisions? Am I protected as a as a minority holder? 
you know, a lot of those kinds of things. Uh, what, what, what's my potential for getting out of this thing down the road? Right, right. And so those are some of the factors that enter into the fractional interest analysis once we've determined the value of the, of the car wash. Mm, okay, great insights there. One of the things we've been doing, Jeff, that we've done this here quite pretty much in all of our operating agreements recently is we will agree to when these types of things occur, a buyout, whether it's forced or, or voluntary, is that we agree to an appraisal. If we disagree on that value, then we get a second appraisal. Um, and then sometimes we even have a third and you take the average of the three. So that, that kind of an approach of multiple appraisals until we uh, agree on the value. But what's your thought on that? And do you see that as an approach and any other thoughts you'd have on putting that kind of language into the operating agreement on how we're going to determine value when we need to? Yes, I think some version of that, whatever makes sense for the given situation is is really important. And the time to do that with a bit of detail, not too broad, is up front mm-hmm. when there's no stress, everybody's excited, everybody loves everybody, it's all wonderful. That's the time to take the extra time and work it out. Have a good, smart lawyer figure out how to do it. It doesn't need to be all crazy legalese, but you want enough detail to straighten it out so that years down the road when things are a little testy and things are a little uncomfortable, it's very clear because we've seen situations where the where this kind of uh, a situation, or this these details are not well laid out. They may be very vague uh, and there's not enough uh, detail in the definition or the method or whatever. And now the lawyers are fighting over simply even the method for how to figure it out mm let alone once you finally get values and disagreeing between the numbers. So it's definitely worth uh, working that out. The idea of, uh, uh, of an appraiser uh, or an appraisal sometimes too. I mean, it's pretty common, this idea of each side gets an appraisal. If they're within, you know, 10% or 15%, you average the two and away you go. If they're off by more than X percent, you get a third one and you either take the two closest or, you know, different variations of that. And we've been involved with that even recently where I w- we had done a value. This is actually for a, an oil company on one of their sites, gas station. And they were having a dispute with the uh, dealer who they had an option to buy it, but they're just as far as the price. Uh, and so Wade done an appraisal. The uh, dealer had had an appraisal. We're at pretty big difference between our numbers. And so we needed to recommend and find a third appraiser, you know, the tiebreaker. Mm-hmm. And uh, that, that can be an interesting process. But I've done that a couple of times, even just recently. Yeah. You yeah, know, great insights there and tips. And I, I agree with you completely, Jeff. There's, it's very simple. If you're in partnership with somebody other than yourself, so somebody else owns a piece of the business, has equity, owns part of the units, you you have to have a comprehensive operating agreement and you have to cover these types of things. And as you alluded to, as I talk about on, on this show all the time, you need an attorney to help you draft that upfront, not after the fact. You know, these these things can get very ugly if it's not spelled out as to how we're going to determine value if someone needs to exit the business. And I'm sure you've seen it many more times than I have. It'll, it can kill a business and it can certainly cripple a business. It destroys relationships because people get personal and they get mm-hmm. offended when we talk about how much it's worth or not worth or how much you owe me. It can get really ugly. Absolutely. And one uh, quick point, but not a trivial point, is on defining uh, terms, not to get into the weeds on that, other than people throw around the phrase fair market value. 
well, is there such thing as an unfair market value? Right. So, so if you're looking for market value, that's a definition for the appraiser, a precise mm -hmm. definition. Fair I market see. value actually in many situations has a different value. Fair market value is not ex always the exact same definition as market value. So just precision in your, in your definitions, especially as it relates to uh, you know, the appraisal side of it. Yeah, no, that's great. Thanks for that clarification. This episode of the How a Car Washing is sponsored by High Performance Wash Systems. High Performance Wash Systems is the largest car wash distributor and supplier in the Rocky Mountain region, specializing in providing car wash equipment and supplies. Serving the industry for over 50 years, they are a full-service provider assisting you with site selection, financial forecasting, obtaining financing, architect and general contractor selection, equipment recommendations, and follow-on support. From start to finish, they assist owners with building and maintaining their car washes. Visit hpws.com for more information. I'd like to for you to walk us through at a high level. I, I've been around appraisals, having been in the real estate business, and of course as a business owner. And I just went through buying a, excuse me, launching a new location. But can you walk us through at a high level what is involved with creating and preparing an appraisal, especially of a business like a car wash? Let, let's let's walk through it as if it's a scenario. A couple of scenarios maybe might make it easier. Let's walk through the scenario I just described where. We were getting financing, an SBA loan to build our new car wash. And so we had to have it appraised to make sure that it appraised for the loan. So walk us through what's going, what is being looked at by that appraisal in that type of scenario. Sure. Uh, well, let's see. First, uh, one quick observation is you may hear, I may throw out the term and you'll certainly hear it though in the process. The word USPAP, which is an acronym for the Uniform Standards of Professional Professional Appraisal Practice, USPAP. We, that's our Bible. That's that's what all certified appraisers are working to, uh, and it's actually a pretty great set of standards that really protects everybody. So you may have I may throw that out, but so that report that you had done, Henry, for the bank uh, was done per USPAP standards by a state certified appraiser. Uh, typically, in a case like that, for, for your situation, we're usually engaged by the lender. Uh, we request a number of items. In fact, sometimes owners of, of car washes in particular, gas stations also, and hotels, they sometimes get a little annoyed because why is this appraiser asking for so much stuff? Leave me alone. You know, <laughs> uh, and we, we understand that we can be an annoyance and a distraction. We appreciate that. And we try not to be any more than we need to. But as a going concern, as a business operation, we do need more information and we may, or, we may have follow-up questions when you provide the documents. So I, I would encourage them to be prepared that this is a little different than if you had a single tenant industrial building that was leased. Uh, the appraisal of that building is simpler and we don't need to ask for as much stuff as we are when mm -hmm. we're doing Henry's uh, car wash. Right. So we've at, up front, we've hopefully requested or the bank has requested from the borrower financials. We'd love to have two, three years of uh, full year financials, a year to date. Uh, if you're if you got a DRB or similar kind of tracking system, tunnel, tunnel wash, uh, you know, tracking system. We love to see the breakdown of the different uh, wash wash uh, options that are that are acquired as well as validation of volumes. So we and this is a, let me interrupt. Though. Mm -hmm. In this scenario, it, we haven't opened for business yet. Right. So 
Yep. So you don't have that. Right. So the financials, I don't have any financials. Are you looking at the projected financials? Projected. Yep. uh, Right. So starting in a little bit general, but right. Tailoring this to your situation of a proposed. So, so right. We do, we do want to hear what you think. So we are looking for your projections. Okay. Uh, Definitely your costs. And sometimes those are at various levels of precision. They're sometimes approximate. Sometimes you got all the bids and everything's in detail. We, we, that's very important to have your costs, mm-hmm. drawings, uh, site plan, elevation, uh, you know, those things. Um, understand equipment, you know, is it express, obviously, uh, full, uh, uh, soft cloth wash. Is it, we don't see as many of the touchless, but, you know, touchless wash, hand wash. So those details, obviously, cost uh, projections. And uh, probably that, you know, if, if you've got any insight for us um, that, uh, for example, uh, we've we've been speaking with uh, some huge employers in the area. We got a huge daytime employment population and we're going to be proposing a, uh, a plan for the uh, 5000 employees of this company that they can you know, get discounts on car washes. So if you've got plans, since we are appraising the business operation as proposed, uh, we're at least interested in that. We probably won't be quite, you know, we're not going to just accept those ideas uh, you know, without looking into them. But so any important nuances and details about the site, about the operation, uh, we're interested in that. And, and that's kind of stuff, let's say I had put that into my business plan or business profile. Is, does that get to you typically if I've given that to the bank? We hope, yes, for sure. And, and okay. that'd be something to, and that's your way to, to present everything uh, right. for us. So we love that. Yeah. Okay. So uh, we've got everything there is to have, as, as you say, with proposed, we don't have some of the things that we'd have if it's existing. And then we're off. We'll do some, you know, in-house research, check tax records on the parcel. It's probably a parcel of vacant land, although we know sometimes it's redevelopment. Mm-hmm. of an existing building, but we'll go out there and we'll do our site inspection. We'll, uh, you know, do some measurements of the site, just different things there. Uh, we'll then drive the pricing competitors that we've probably already identified before we go to the field. We want to know who the competitors are. We'll visit them. We'll take a fo- photo usually of them. We'll get their pricing so that we can compare the different pricing with what's proposed and, you know, come up with our own estimate of pricing. Hmm. Um and we've done at least the way we do it is we'll do a uh, we'll get a demographics report. We do a ring analysis in the, the, the radius of the uh, demographics report usually is about two, three, four mile radius. And we'll look at the population in there. And then we'll also look at the number of competitors in that radius. We got some broad guidelines. Uh, if you've got uh, an average of, you know, 100,000 people per wash, that's a terrific uh, ratio of people per wash. Mm, On the other hand, if you've only got 5,000 people per wash, that's probably a pretty saturated market and that's not good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, so we'll look at that, look at your visibility of your site, uh, relative to the others. Some of the things that we have talked about and that you may want to talk about more, uh, factors that, that separate you from the competition. And, uh, the, uh, you know, land sales, uh, the land value is, is an important part of it. And then we go back to our cave and we, you know, are under our bridge and we start our analysis. Uh, You know, we're looking to project revenues. So we're going to project volumes. We're going to project price per wash. We're going to look at uh, expenses based on others that we've done that are similar to it. 
again, we do care about what you're projecting, but realizing that those are coming from obviously the guy who thinks his baby is the most beautiful baby in the world. So we're going to be, uh, we're going to, you know, do our independent look and compare it with others. Income and expenses, net income, you apply a net income multiplier against the EBITDA, the earnings before interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization, and rent really too. So, it, uh, and you'll, w- w- that'll give you one indication of value as if complete mm-hmm. and stabilized, right? Okay. We'll look at a gross profit multiplier as more of a backup. Uh, and I won't get into the weeds unless you, unless yeah. a question comes up on that, right. but we find that really it's the net income that we mostly care about mm-hmm. and that we find gross profit multipliers can be great as long as you're comparing it against a really similar property that, that you know, versus the others that you're looking at. Mm-hmm. So there are factors, uh, that can, that can make the gross profit multiplier comparison less reliable and we use it more of a test of reasonableness, and we, we're more interested when we can in estimating the uh, net income, the EBITDA. Uh, and so we'll work our way through. We've, we've projected based on the competition and all these things, we've come up with a net income. We've got from sales data that we've compiled uh, over time, as well as the research that we do on your particular project. Uh, and our sale comps for a special purpose property, a car, car wash, the sale comps are a little different. Rather yeah. than finding a retail center and looking at it at a price per square foot and doing adjustments for location and adjustments for this and that, it's a little different with a special use property. You're just not going to find comps that are that, that enough of them that are that similar to make the adjustment process worth doing. Mm-hmm. And the business operation is integral to the to the physical assets. They're just tied together. It's not like a freestanding retail building where one month it could be a donut shop and then two months later it could be an insurance office. Right. right. This is a car wash. So we we need to, it's all kind of inter, integrally related. And so we're looking more for net income multipliers uh, from our sales data. And uh, so multiplying, you know, a multi, net income multiplier of just to pick a number, you know, eight uh, times the EBITDA will give you an idea of the value of the going concern. Now the going concern is another way of of saying the total assets of the business. And stop me, Henry, if you if I'm going in a direction uh, uh, on a rabbit trail. But but you were looking at the going concern, the total assets of the business, tangible and intangible, real estate, business value, FF and E. That gives you the whole ball of wax. Yeah. Then. We allocate because, for one thing, the lender their their underwriting criteria um, specify that they have to look differently. And usually, as a rule, they're going to use the real property value as the basis for the underwriting, rather than the business value. Not always, but usually that's the case. Well, and uh, there are different ways to allocate the value. So, for example, if I've got a five million dollar total value at stabilized, everything's up and running. It's a beautiful big wash, high volume, you know, and that's and So you've got, let's just pick a round number. You've got a $5 million beautiful property of that. Maybe you've got 4 million in the real estate and $1 million is intangible personal property known as business enterprise value. So uh, how do you, how do you separate that? Well, there are different ways to do it. And, and one of the, uh, one of the, just the simple way is we will do a cost approach. We'll look at the land. We'll look at the building. In your case, with your brand new facility, we don't need to worry about depreciating it, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got land and costs. We'll validate your costs against our own estimates. 
and uh, add some d- appropriate developer incentive on top of the costs. And so you've got your land value, you've got your value of the improvements, the value of the FF&E, which technically is not considered to be real property. Um, and by the way, as an aside, the tunnel fixtures, we consider the tunnel fixtures, the spray arches, uh, the conveyor, that's all real property in our view. And we've, we've had that you know, accepted uh, okay. pretty much universally. So when people refer to the tunnel equipment as FF&E, uh, or equipment even. I even try not to call it equipment. I usually try to call it tunnel fixtures, just okay. to be clear. We consider that to be real property, and that's important when they're underwriting it based on the real property. Right. So anyway, we'll then estimate the total of the real property using the cost approach. There's some, some FF&E in there, but not as much in a car wash as there is in a gas, in a gas station convenience store, for example, where you got all the gondolas and the, the coffee system and a lot of things that are just placed there that are not really part of the real estate on a car wash. Most of the big stuff is uh, real property. You might have a boutique uh, that's got a few, you know, uh, merchandising things. You might have some tools, some hand tools mm-hmm. that'd be, you know, FF and E, but relatively that's usually a pretty small percentage. And most of it's in the real property and the intangible business value. And Jeff, these allocations, are they impacted at all? If whether it's an SBA or conventional? The uh, presentation may be slightly different, uh, but uh, but the value is the value, and uh, they're looking for SBA, and we do a lot of SBA. They're looking for us to just treat it the standard way. You know, again, they sometimes have little quirks, and one thing, you know, they actually have SBA actually has requirement that an appraiser who is doing an appraisal of a property that has something like more than $250,000 in business value must actually be able to show that you've done like four properties of the same type in the last three years or three properties of the same type in the last two years. I forget the exact uh, deal. Uh, typically with car washes, we, we easily meet that. Right. So, but, but the SBA has, has recognized the need to have somebody on these going concern properties that has really done a few of them. Now, in the in following with this example, where my bank ordered the appraisal, I mean, I, I ended up paying for it, of course, but but nonetheless, technically, they it's their appraisal. Are they and is it customary for them to share a copy of the results of it with me or not? I believe that you are entitled to ask for a copy of that appraisal. That's what I thought. I just wasn't sure. I, I remember that being the case in prior experiences. But if you call the appraiser and ask for it, he's going to say, you know what? I'm sorry, but you got right. to call the lender. Right, because I'm not his client, right? The exactly. Bank, the bank is. Yep. Okay. Now, throughout that process, uh, I, you know, they may have, it was a long process. They may have reached out to us or they may have had everything from our banker. We, we've got a great banker. A DJ really does a great job at, at First Bank of getting it all together, right? Mm-hmm. But, it, it, and we talked about some of the key things though anything any information that we have that hopefully we've included in our plan that gets passed on uh, other data points we think are relevant what else uh, do you see that people miss out as an opportunity to share with the appraisal that might have a positive impact is there anything else that we haven't talked about that comes to mind no i mean a thought along those lines would be to to certainly uh, you may be an operator who's done 10 of these and have a real knack for like t- mm-hmm. setting up your ticket writers to be just to really know how to how to you know pitch your services in a nice way. Okay. Uh, and that's great. Our assumption is the buyer has a typical level of expertise. He's not a guru and and I do know because there's an art to running a car wash. 
and and it's not real hard to get pretty good at it but but not everybody's like fabulous at it and there are a few people some of the listeners included that are probably just gifted at knowing the nuances right of, of really just getting their staff fine-tuned and all those things right and uh so uh that's that can sometimes be a tension because you may have really been able to achieve certain things and we want to give credit for that um but at the same time our assumption is that it's a typical buyer uh and so you may have a specific plan or a particular manager that's the best manager you ever had but you know what we're going to assume that a buyer doesn't necessarily have your superman manager um okay normally that's not so, a so you're thing. saying that even though i have, may have that expertise as as we do david begin has been operating successfully highly successful washes for over 12 years in fact financed through the same bank but when you're doing the appraisal you have to give it a value as if if someone else were to take over this entity they don't have that experience is, am i getting that right close okay. yes so we we're always assuming market value says essentially uh, what would a buyer pay now the buyer, I, and by buyer, I don't mean just some guy that's never done a car wash. We, it's got to be somebody who knows car washes. Right. So that's a given that that he's an experienced car wash operator or he's going to bring in somebody to run it who will be an experienced operator. So that, so I'm not saying that you're, that you're going to assume that just any old guy is going to run it. But there's sort of a broad level of, of competence. But every now and then, uh, we've run into folks that just really, again, it's just like being a killer good golfer or something. There really is an art to, to this, to parts of this, as you know. And some folks uh, have just assembled a team, the ticket writers, the on-site manager, that all the things are just operating uh, fabulously. And so if you have that, what I guess maybe my suggestion would be convey to the appraiser how a buyer could also do that, right? You want to defend the value. You want to defend the 180,000 or 220,000 cars a year you're doing and how a buyer could also do that. Yeah. Okay. All right. So now if the scenario is, and we've been touching on it, so just where we need to add here, if it's an existing wash that I'm either looking to buy or sell, it doesn't matter. In that in that case where it is an existing ongoing operation, You've touched on some of the things that come into play. What, what else? And, and this is, I think, a little bit more on the on the going concern and the the you know the goodwill value of the business. How does that factor in, if at all? Well, it's a big part because, uh, as I say, the, the, a car wash sells as an integral uh, deal. It's again, it's not like where you could take a donut shop and really move it into a, a wide variety of retail units. Yeah. So, so it's very important. It's part of the whole thing. As far as, far as how the appraisal uh, or the appraiser fits into this, on an existing wash, financials, historical, I mentioned them before, and you're right, you don't have them for a proposed, but for an existing yep. one, uh, good accountants' P&Ls are very helpful. We'll check those when possible against tax returns as part of our due diligence. Uh, and so that's important that what we're telling it on our tax returns is the same as what we're, we're telling a buyer uh, on the on the accountant's financials. We, we'd love to have if we've got, again, something, a DRB or a similar kind of a uh, system that will give me wash volumes. We, we want all that. Uh, you only have one chance to create a first impression, you know, with an appraiser as far as the, the the reliability and credibility of the information I'm being, uh, am I being given, you know, reliable, credible uh, documents? Do they do they smell right? Do they pass the smell test? 
and we go out, we'll look at the competitors and we'll, we'll, we'll do our own estimate of what we think revenue might be and we'll check them and compare them. So that's very important. Um, certainly, uh, the facility itself, as far as its, its uh, appeal to customers, especially express washes, just because their big thing they're pitching is, you know, fast, a, good, a great job, fast and relatively inexpensively. So the, the look of the facility is important. The appraiser coming in, uh, is there deferred maintenance? And by that, I mean, are there things that really should be cured? Not necessarily a big major renovation, but if you got landscape that looks crummy, if you got a cracked uh, parking lot that just really needs to be slurried and patched. Those are things that don't necessarily cost a lot, uh, but they give the, the appraiser a little bit of a sense of how the, well, how the property has been managed because the, the business operation ties closely to the total value. What about the, the, the employees? Are they all wearing a different kind of a shirt and do they have big old belt buckles that are exposed or have they been, are they wearing shirts of the same color with a proper hat and they and we don't have belt buckles that we have to worry about scratching the you know the the front fender on a car um you know the things the little nuances that we're looking for to see is this a is this a well-run operation uh or not you know the boutique is the boutique reasonably well stocked and we know boutique's not a convenience store so we don't expect it to be but it still sometimes you walk in and the boutique just has like four items mm-hmm. in it and, you know, it just looks, it just doesn't look like it's well-funded. So we, we're sort of looking for things like that. Yeah, no, that, those are great. And I'm glad you touched on that because that's something I, I always, my partner and I, David, talk about is, you know, we put all this effort into making the place look great and clean and maintained. And sometimes you wonder, is this worth it? But it's great to get that validation that it is part of, even from a formal appraisal perspective, it is part of, uh, of determining value. So that's good to hear. Well, and some of that is from having spent the time with the guys, uh, you know, when we're, tr- when we're operating a dozen or so of mm-hmm. these things, uh, you know, listening to the old hands that have been doing it, you know, for years. Yeah. So. You know, those clues to look for, like you said, that does it smell right, right? Does mm-hmm. it all kind of make sense? The numbers, the way the place looks, the way your boutique looks, it all kind of makes sense or wait, it's some, there's a disconnect here, mm-hmm. right? And that's, you're looking for those things, I suspect. Correct. All right. What happens briefly when it doesn't appraise? So this is particularly from a lending perspective, right? Mm -hmm. What happens there? And is there anything I can do in that situation? Well, let's see. So we've, we've submitted an appraisal. We've come up with a value of, you know, X dollars. Um, And it could be that the total value is actually okay from your perspective, but that we've put in uh, a breakdown that shows that the business value, that is the intangible personal property is, is a big number, which means that the real property value is less. So just to pick that $5 million example, let's say because it's expensive land, uh, it's a beautiful express wash, you got a lot of vacuums, you've got maybe some other things and, and maybe 5 million wasn't the best number, but let's go with that $5 million number. Sure, sure. And let's say, you, let's say you've got $4 million into the thing, legitimate costs that you really did spend. And we came in and said, well, we think it's worth $5 million, but... Um, we're not able to, for this reason or that reason, we're not able to uh, justify the uh, the four million dollars in your costs. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're only able to justify three and a half million, and we think there's a million and a half dollars in business value for whatever reason. Well, that's a problem because your bank underwriters, the folks there at the bank, are going to probably do a loan to value of whatever. I don't know, Henry, what yours was, and you may not remember right now, but maybe it was seventy percent or sixty percent or whatever 
of the right. real property value. So they're going to give you a loan of 70% to pick a number, maybe it's 60, uh, 60% of that three and a half million dollar real property value. They're not going to necessarily give you value for that other million and a credit that is for that million and a half in personal property, the business value. So admittedly, that can be that can be a tension. We try not to get carried away with that. We understand that. I mean, we're obviously going to do what we think is right and be fair, but we're mm-hmm. also in tune to the idea that we we get that the underwriting is probably done on the real property. So, uh, you know, let's be real and give every legitimate bit of uh, credit there is to be done to given to the uh, real property. Mm-hmm. So that can be a problem. So uh, different ways to do that if you. Um, if you, if you get bad news like that, that, well, the appraisal came in and we're only going to give you 60% of three and a half million. And you say, well, that means we got to put in way more cash than we, than we thought. That's a problem. A couple of thoughts. One would be, um, you know, get in a, get the appraisal and take a look at it. It's better if you don't, uh, well, first of all, if you're going to call the appraiser, unless the banks told me to talk to you, I'm not going to probably talk to you very much. I'm, I'll, I'll try to be courteous, but I'm going to, for the most part, say, hey, until the bank until my client who's the bank tells me it's okay to talk with you, I can't really get into this. Sure. Yeah. On the other hand, hopefully the bank will say, no, go ahead and talk to Jeff Key. He did mm-hmm. the appraisal and, and, and give him your concerns, but we're not going to let you beat up mercilessly on the appraiser until he relents and does what you want. So you get one chance to give, to present a professional view of why you disagree. And then we're still going to go with the appraiser because we can't have undue influence on the appraisal. That's the whole point. Right. So I will always do better if somebody comes to me, and sometimes it's the broker, and if they come in and say, well, I see you did this, I see you use this for labor, I see you projected this many cars, here's some legitimate data that disagrees with what you're using, please consider this, or you've come up with you know, $25 a square foot land value, but here are three comps, uh, and they're not just crazy dumb comps, but here are three legitimate comps that suggest it should be $40 land, we think you might have missed that. I'll look at that. Maybe we missed it. So the best thing is objective, kind of neutral. Just show me where I've missed it. Don't just say, you idiot, you don't know what you're doing. (laughs) That just isn't as helpful. Right. You're going to shut that conversation down real quick. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, that's that's great insight, Jeff. That's that's very valuable and actionable and exactly what I was looking for. How how should I respond? What can I do there? And like you said, I mean, if you go about it professionally and, and you know, we're all human, you, you might have missed some. You may not have had this data point, and so you'll consider it now, perhaps. Absolutely, um, we'll look that, at it. And that's an opportunity that we have there. Okay, great. Let me start to wrap it up with this. I, I'm always curious as to, you know, how do I find a qualified professional, in this case, an appraiser? Some of it is obvious. We've talked about some of it. You know, an obvious question I would have is, what is your experience? This is if I was hiring my own. What's your experience with this type of property, with car washes? That would be one question I would ask. Mm-hmm. What else should I be looking for and asking if I'm going to hire my own appraiser? So if you're hiring your own, you're not working through a lender at this point. Right, exactly. So I might be doing it, let's say, for the scenario of valuing, uh, um, determining value because someone's going to exit the business. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, I think what I would do is I would ask that appraiser. Uh, first of all, I'd probably, on a specialty situation like this, I would probably ask around a little to try to f- find one or two folks that, that through contacts you have, have done appraisals for them and they're happy with mm-hmm. uh, just because of the specialty nature of this. Right. And then my attorney might be a good source of referrals for that as well. Yep. Yep. Possibly a car wash broker. 
Okay. Might be able to say, hey, yeah, you know what? We we saw, you know, Heron Companies did an appraisal of one that I brokered uh, last year. Why don't you try them? Wonderful. Okay. Uh, the Appraisal Institute, of which I'm a member, does have referral services. And I believe it's possible for appraisers to be on that and to mention that, well, I have an expertise in certain areas. So you might find somebody if you go to the Appraisal Institute. I think it's uh, AI.org or something like that. They're in Chicago. Uh and, uh, and so you might find someone there. But again, speaking with somebody in your region, a broker, a lawyer, one of your colleagues, competitor that, that has done that, that's probably one way to get closer to start. Okay. Then if you're speaking with one or two of them, yes, I would. You, you, know, you start with, uh, do you have experience? Can you tell me about your experience with these? And they'll tell you and um, you know, you'll get varying responses. I'd probably ask them a little bit, how do you value the going concern and separate out the real estate value from the personal property, the business value. Tell me how you do that, and have you done a lot of that? The Appraisal Institute actually offers a course, as does the uh, American Society of Appraisers. It's a couple-of-day course that actually takes us through. Everybody in our office that does gas station or car wash appraisals has has taken the course, and it takes you through the theory and the practice of separating out this going concern value into the various parts. So I would ask him if he's taken, you know, courses that deal specifically with that. I probably would ask for a guy with an MAI designation or an ASA designation. Uh, not to say there aren't other great folks that are very good without those, but that just maybe increases the probability that they will have had the experience you're looking for. Of course. So you can kind of tell. I usually try to briefly. Uh, without again getting on too many, you know, into the weeds too much. Try to, if I'm speaking with somebody, in fact, actually just uh, maybe this week speaking with a gentleman with a couple of properties in Southern California, and to try to give him the comfort in a conversation without getting too deep into it. Give him the comfort that, yep, we've done a lot. Kind of here's how we do it. I, I really have seen a lot of these. So hopefully you can get that from a conversation, uh, you know, from that appraiser. Yeah. Great, great insights and good specific tips there. And we'll have a link on the show notes page of this episode at the howofcarwashing.com to ai.org. And uh, in case you didn't get a chance to write that down. So thanks for sharing that. That's great, actionable stuff. All right, Jeff, we'll start to wrap it up. I'd like to, if you would, share with us, we've touched on it briefly, but summarize for us the services that the Heron Company offers, what the services you offer your clients today. Sure. Well, we started out uh, and, and still do a lot of lender work. Uh, and that includes everything from, you know, office buildings, shopping centers, uh, churches, uh, retail centers. We've done, you know, large and small, all of that. So the conventional commercial and industrial stuff, we've done apartments and residential subdivisions. So we've kind of done a lot of things that way. But as I mentioned earlier, we have found our way into doing a lot of gas station car washes and hotels around the country. We've got uh, uh, an office in uh, Tennessee. We've got one in Detroit. We've got in Northern California. We're in Southern California. And uh, so we pretty much really hit all 50 states, Alaska, Hawaii, we've been there. So, uh, and especially as it relates to some of these specialty properties that, that we do, we uh, have over the years found ourselves for various reasons serving lenders as they have been dragged into litigation. And uh, similarly, we've done work for some of the big oil companies on gas stations, and they occasionally get drawn into arbitration or litigation. And so over the years, we found that we've done quite a bit of that. 
So not only so there's the plus side of hey I'm building a new one or I'm getting a loan and I'm excited and that's good that's the the lender side that's the consulting side and then unfortunately you run into the case where you've got litigation uh, problems and we get involved on that side too and that's not as much fun but you know it's solving a problem and you know we're here to solve problems so we sure. so we do litigation uh, eminent domain we've had cases actually quite a few cases where the city is going to widen for an extra turn lane and you got a nice corner gas station or car wash and they're going to take 20 feet along this you know along one street to put in a new lane uh, so what's the effect of that sometimes the effect is greater on the business than it is on the real estate so we've done we've done that just recently. Eminent domain. Uh, one of our appraisers, uh, uh, Larry Pines, actually was involved in a in a case in Idaho that I was in a, uh, for the Department of Transportation uh, with a dispute. Eminent domain, and it ended up going to the the uh, Idaho Supreme Court, and the the, the justices ended up using Larry's appraisal. Uh, in, a, in a big way to help them sort through this. And I was in a seminar three years later on legal aspects, a litigation appraisal seminar that I was taking. And the guy teaching it actually referred to that case. It's just like, <laughs> that's fantastic. I, I kind of wanted to yell out, Hey, Hey, that's us. That was us. So, <laughs> so we've done, we've done that too. Again, it's not litigation in eminent domain. Isn't always just related to gas stations. It's, you know, all sorts of properties, estate work, uh, you know, tax planning, those sorts of things, tax appeal, property tax appeal. Yeah. Lots of resources there. Definitely got it covered as far as specialty or special purpose properties like a car wash. All right. Where would you like us to go online to find out more about Heron? Yes. I th- our main uh, main website is www.heronco.com, H-E-R-R-O-N-C-O.com. We've also got heronlegal.com, which uh, has a little more detail uh, on that aspect of our business. And they're linked together. You'll find links between them. Uh, we've got downloaded articles on some of the things we've done. Uh, additional information, uh, including some details about going concerned properties, scope of work. I think I've got something on there about uh, scope of work for the different property types when you're doing an appraisal. Yeah, you do. I have never had that right in front of me. Actually, it's a great document called Scope of Work for Special Purpose Property. Oh, okay. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. Okay, and if you didn't get that, uh, listeners, uh, we'll have links to that, of course, how to find them online at the show notes page for this episode at the howacarwashing.com. Jeff, this has been a wonderful conversation. I've learned a lot. Uh, your fast knowledge base, experiences, all of that is obvious, and you have such a great way of sharing it and articulating it. It's been a pleasure for me. Thanks for taking the time. Thanks for sharing your knowledge today. It's been my pleasure. Thanks for including me. Folks, this is Henry Lopez. This is the How of Car Washing. Thanks for listening to this episode. My guest again was Jeff Key with the Heron Companies. We release new episodes typically on Wednesdays, and you can find our episodes on iTunes, Stitcher for the Android platform, and at our website, thehowofcarwashing.com. Thank you for listening to The How of Car Washing. For more information, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofcarwashing.com and leave us a comment if you have a topic you would like discussed. Thanks for listening, and we look forward to having you next time on The How of Car Washing.